The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from John 16, 25-33. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Well, I'm very thankful for our leaders and elders as we've, um, man, not skipped a beat and continue to press in and uh, we'll communicate with you regularly and often about what's going on with transition, uh, my transition and everything else. And just as a note, just so you know, uh, we will be here through the summer, into the summer, and uh, you will see me uh, not leaning out or phasing away at any point. I will be leaning in even more so. So make sure uh, we're constantly talking and um, know that you know I'm a part of this process and helping our church uh, go through this transition. So thankful and grateful to do that. <clears throat> well, uh, when I was a, a student years ago in Texas, I went to uh, Baylor University in Waco. That's where me- actually Megan and I met, uh, my wife and I met in uh, good old Waco, Texas, uh, as many of you know from here. Um, not, still not a whole lot there. I know a lot of people you know, go there to see uh, you know, Magnolia and all that fun jazz, but man, that, Waco hadn't changed a whole lot still. Uh, it's, a, it's still a little small town and all its fun glory, but uh, it was there where I remember getting involved and in helping with a ministry uh, called RUF. Uh, I helped get it going there. Uh, it, there was not one on campus, and uh, so I helped start it my senior year. And <clears throat> I had been a Christian for some time, uh, for a while. I became a Christian when I was in sixth grade and kind of was involved with the church for a long time. And um, I had always busied myself with church things, um, even as a, a, a you know student in Dallas and and uh, amongst other things, going on trips and being a part of things. And I always thought of myself as somebody who like filled my schedule with a lot of things that were good or, or a part of church or Bible study and those kind of things. And I remember that, that didn't slow down when I got into college, when I was there. And uh, as I, I, I went over to my campus minister's house, his name was Tom Gibbs. I don't feel know who that is. He's now uh, the, uh, he planted a church in, in San Antonio and is now the, the president of Covenant Seminary. Um, he was my campus minister for that one year, and uh, I got to spend a lot of great time with him. And he got to hear a lot of things about, you know, us and me and, and as we were kind of getting this thing going. And 
And I remember being in his house and just kind of telling him, just, man, I feel busy. I'm just kind of running, uh, going. And, um, and I remember him looking at me <laughs> and uh, asking kind of some questions of like, hey, do you, what do you think it means to follow Jesus? And I'm like, dude, I, I've been a Christian for a long time. Like, I, that's, what are you talking about? And um, he said something to me that I literally put in quotes on my, uh, even on my paper here, because it's something that I, I, I will never forget. He says, Stacy, the moment you think you have your arms wrapped around the gospel is the moment that you've lost it. And hear that again. The moment that you think you have your arms wrapped around the gospel is the moment you've lost it. And what he meant by that essentially is when you think you get it and you're like, I've arrived or man, I'm, I'm kind of there, you don't have it. And that's not just something for students. That, that's, <laughs> I'll tell you what, this quote has, has been with me in, long into my adulthood, and, and it should be yours. I mean, it, notice, as we've been in the upper room discourse looking at this selection of verses that John kind of, kind of highlights for us, there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all make mention of the upper room discourse. And this is where Jesus' final night with his disciples is. And he's really telling them, what do you think it means to follow me? And you even see it in this passage. There are moments where they just blurt out and they'll say things or they'll ask a question. And in this moment, they say, ah, now we get it. All for Jesus to respond with one verse it says, do you now believe? Do you now believe? Do you think you have it? That is very true of us. If there's anything of what it, we think often it means to follow Jesus, it can be wrapped up in a lot of our doings, our feelings, our thinkings. But do we really know? Do we really know the good news is good and it remains that way? And the good news, which what gospel means, that when we think we have it, we don't. And that that's the beauty of following Jesus. And see, here in this upper room, they will all fall away. You know, he's speaking to the 11 disciples. Judas has already left the room. So remind you, he's the, the betrayer has left. Now he's speaking to the 11. And this is Peter. They've all said, we're not going to leave you. Well, what do you think? We're here. We've been following you for years. I mean, years, not just days, years. And yet Jesus says, do you now believe? You will all be scattered. All to your own home. <clears throat> all fall away. How are they encouraged? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a disciple? So we're going to look at this as Jesus unpacks it briefly in three ways. One, how he encourages them to look at their discipleship through the resurrection. Second, what it means for them to have intercession or someone interceding for them. And third, how do they really deal with tribulation? So resurrection, intercession, and tribulation. A lot of shuns. I thought I'd make you a lot of shuns for today. There you go. 
You know, if you've heard repetition, and you may have heard this here, and if you've been following along, whether you've read this or not, and I'd encourage you, if you're asking like where to read in the Bible, you know what, start here. Take these chapters, 14 to 17 of, of John, and just read those over and over and over. And what you'll find is Jesus says over and over, and he does again in this one, I'm leaving, I'm going and you will not see me. And he says this constantly. In fact, in, in the upper room discourse, he has said this so many times, and he's constantly encouraging them because they're sad about it. And yet, here's what's funny. He's actually been saying this throughout his whole ministry. If you read the gospels, the ones that I mentioned, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see that Jesus over and over is saying in figures of speech and in other ways, as he mentions here, like he says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And what he's saying is, even in parables, I've tried to tell you, I'm leaving. I have to go to the cross. I will be resurrected. And every time he says these things, there's pushback or confusion or deer in headlights. I mean, think about it for a second. They have been watching him do incredible things. Not too long before this, they just saw him bring Lazarus out of a grave. And the whole town, like, celebrated. They watched him feed thousands of people. They've watched him heal others. They've watched him confound the religious leaders who have all sorts of questions about him and go, and they have no answer. And they're like, dude, this is amazing. But what are you talking about death and resurrection? It didn't, it didn't fit with their model. It didn't work with them. And so Jesus is trying again and again, over and over, when he says figures of speech, the hour is coming. He's specifically talking about something's gonna be happening soon and you will know. It will make sense to you. And here's what's funny. If you read this passage you think the disciples are following along because Roger says the hour is coming. And then in verse 29, they're like, ah, now you're speaking plainly. Now we get it. That's amazing. And you can kind of feel like a little bit of what they've been doing all along, a little bit of this confidence. But here's the thing. Is information what transforms them to be followers? Is it simply gathering the information? Or is it something more? See, religion is different than what following Jesus means. And here's what it means. Is that Christianity, what Christ being a Christ follower means, it means that the events drive the teachings. When Jesus says the hour, what he's talking about is his actual resurrection. <clears throat> and John picks this up. We'll actually look at it in a couple of weeks on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a huge version of this because they're all seeing Jesus come into the city and they're freaking out and they're yelling all these things, Hosanna in the highest, there's a party when he comes in and yet, you know what John writes? No one understood what's happening until after the resurrection. See, they had to see it through the resurrection. The hour is the time, but it's not yet there. That is the resurrection. And the difference in following Jesus and what it means to be a Christ follower versus religion is that the events drive the teaching rather than the teaching driving the events. Most of us are used to what that means in religion where it's based on our information. 
It's based on behavior change and what we can do with God in this kind of navigation, right? But what Jesus is saying that's very different from what they're used to is, no, 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 no. It's based on what I have done. See, how many times has information actually changed? If, if information is all that we needed, we'd all be millionaires and have flat abs, right? Information isn't what, it moves us to be different. It's, it's not enough. It's not enough to get into us and do the work that we need done because we can't do it. Otherwise, it would be that way. See, this is why Christianity is so different. And if we're buying what it means to be a disciple, and I'll tell you, and this is what it was like, if we think we have our arms wrapped around it, and this is why I think so many of us are bored and cynical and tired of church, Bible, prayer, all those things is because we do them. We think that is Christian. Those are, are, are part of what we are in, as a Christian, but that is not relationship. See, Jesus is saying, it is me that you're in a relationship with. It's not information. And they think that if they have the teachings, remember this, the disciples have been with them three years. They have gathered more teaching on the inside than anyone else. They've had him physically with them and walked with them. And yet they're saying, now we get it. Do you really now believe? Now you believe? after you've seen all that I've done and experienced all that I've experienced and being encouraged to do the same, wait, now you believe? You will be scattered. And there's nothing you can do about that. And the only thing that's gonna make sense of that is the hour that comes of me raising from the dead. C.S. Lewis said it beautifully when he talked about what's, what's the New Testament telling us. What, what, what is it on this side versus that? He says, ancient myths and modern poetry, so false as history, may be very near the truth as prophecy. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are wrestling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Beautifully put, it is the reality. We see it in these ways of, oh, on this side of it, but what do we understand? Jesus is saying, you have to see it through the hour of my resurrection. You have to see it when your eyes are open to the reality of what God has done not what we do, but what he has done. And it brings up a question that I think is really important. And he hits this in the very next verses. When he says, in that day, you will ask my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And the question is this, what do you think it means to be continually in a relationship with God. Like what really keeps you? <clears throat> what keeps you in this relationship? What is, the, what is the intermediary 
that when you come to confession, that you know that God really keeps you. Jesus is saying something to them about his interceding, his intercession. And, and here's what that word, it sounds like a big word, it's really not. We're used to that. What he's saying to them is, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Now, what he says there sounds a little confusing, but it's actually because it's different than what he has been saying. He has been telling them, if you ask in my name, you will receive it. Now he's saying something different, and it sounds confusing, but he's striking at the heart of something really important for them as disciples. He's trying to get into the core of where they make it Jesus plus something. Because for many of us, we wonder, is Jesus just the sweet son that God kind of sends to appease the angry God? That's what he's getting at. He's saying, it's not. I'm not separate from the Father in the sense that you pray to me and then it'll appease God. It's not Jesus plus something. It's kind of like many of us as we grew up, and we still do this, when we think about our parents, and we think about, and many of us, and this may provoke all sorts of things for us in this room, wherever our relationship is with our mother or father. But the reality is this, that no matter how much we thought they loved us or love us now still, we always still have a question of, but I always have this question. But I still struggle with this. I never knew if this was enough or did I do this right. There still is in the back of our mind for all of us a question of, can I really be at rest with the love that they have for me? Can I? no matter how wonderful your parents are, and mine too, there is that moment of, can I be at rest? Jesus is saying, you can be at rest. You don't have to pray to me thinking that you're trying to do an end around who God is. When you pray to me, you are already in deep, profound relationship with God. John Calvin, a great theologian, said it this way. He says, we have the heart of God as soon as we place before him the name of his son. See, intercession means that Jesus, in his relationship with the Father, when we're in relationship with him, we're immediately in relationship with the Father. And there's not a next step. There's not a, do I wonder, and we do. You see how he's comforting them? See, they're walking in with all this self-confidence because right after he says this, I came from the Father and I've come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Ah, now we know. Now I get it. Jesus, I got you. He says, do you now believe? How many of us come in this room and we may say we've been followers of Jesus forever, but because... We think we have our arms wrapped around the gospel. We get it. That we've made Jesus. Yeah, I need Jesus, but I always need to feel this way. Or I need to think this way. Or I need to have done this. We are always wanting to add to 
Jesus to try and make sure that we're okay with God. As if he may not be enough, but he is. For the Father himself loves you. His intercession is perfect. He is perfect in what you need. Think of it this way. How many of us, and I know this to be true for myself, are constantly living out of a, I'm trying to make sure the Father loves me, to earn it. To get it. And to have my grip strong enough to keep it. And yet we can't. There has only been one that can do that. And Jesus is trying to comfort them to say, you're all gonna scatter as much as you think you can. I get it, hold on to it. You cannot hold on to it. Following me is not about your grip. It is about God's. And guess who sent the son to us, the father. And as Paul says, if the father has not withheld even his own son, what is he gonna withhold from you? You know, the, the, many of you in this room may not be as familiar with the Bible, but you may be familiar with this parable. You know the parable of the prodigal son? Have you heard that one before? It's, a, it's commonly used. Jesus tells a parable about two sons. <clears throat> and as he has this parable, this father has two sons, uh, older and a younger one. The younger one takes his inheritance, runs from home, and squanders all of it in wild living. The older son stays at home. Well, the younger son, as he loses all his money, his clothes are going, you know, falling off him, he realizes, I need to go back, I have nothing left. And as he comes back, you realize, and you read the parable, and Jesus put this, puts this in there, he talks about the speech that he's preparing to tell the father to kind of like get back in. Because he knows he can go back to his father, but he has to make sure, he has to get that speech right, right? And when he returns and the father sees him, the father sprints towards him. And many times we can get caught up in that. It's beautiful. Father pulls up his garment and runs, and fathers didn't do that then. But it's not just that part that's beautiful, that he runs to his son. And right when he gets to him and he kisses him, his son starts the speech. He said, and you can read it. He's like, ah, okay. And no, 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 no. And he starts point one. He's like rehearsed it. And the father cuts him off. And at that point, most of us may think, and as the listeners were thinking, that maybe the father would go, see, I knew you would mess it up. Oh, now you're coming back, huh? Oh, you, you want to come back into the house? You got to earn it first. Stay outside kind of earn your living. What does the father do? The father, he falls on his son. He kisses him. He embraces him. And you know who the people who are really bothered by that parable? It's the religious leaders. Because they're so used to doing, they can't believe that the father would love them that much. Jesus has reconciled. You don't need a speech. His intercession for you is done. He has done it. His grip on you is by his strength, not yours. He's the one that has you. The Father has you. And after they begin, and he says this, 
And they say, ah, now you're speaking plainly, not using figurative speech. Now we know. And Jesus, verse 31 says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Over and over, the disciples, not just here, have proclaimed their confidence and their strength, right? We've said that they're going to be scattered, and he tells them that. But it's not just in that moment. It's when he even comes back. How do they know that the tribulation that they're going to face, that Jesus says you will face, you would expect them to be like, what do we do? (laughs) What really changes us? What really changes us as disciples? What really works through us? One theologian said, the genius of the church, the genius of what God has done in his church is that he built it on top of discredited men. People who would all fall away. The genius of the church. People are like, genius? Why is that genius? Because it's not built on what we can overcome. And here's what's amazing. When John wrote this, this is the only time the word overcome, which means victory, a progressive ongoing victory. In the the tense, it's just a victory that's continuous. This is the only time in the gospel of John that this is written. You know, John would write this, and the next, John would write letters he would write what's called 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You know how many times that word overcome shows up in those letters? Six times. You know what he would write after that? Revelation. A book that we're all freaked out by because we think it's just scary. Apostle John. That what it meant to be a disciple wasn't about his victory, but about Jesus. For us to stop failing as disciples. Do you think we just need, when we fail, we gotta go, I gotta stop failing. Is that, the, is that the routine of a disciple? When you fail, then you just gotta stop failing after that? Who holds the victory? It sunk into John, and especially in Revelation. You know what the summary of Revelation is? It's theology and pictures. It's not just like some futuristic book. (laughs) You know what the summary of it is? Jesus wins. And you know what's sitting in front of me is a table that exclaims that very thing. This table is a table that screams how Jesus wins. And it holds the very truth of our discipleship. Holds every element of it. Look, as much as our host team, and I thank them every week for setting this table up, this is not their table. And as much as I come to this table and, 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 and you know, do the elements for you, it's not my table. This is Jesus' table. And we need to be reminded when we come take of this table that it is not our body and blood. As much as we leave here and on Monday we're like, I'm gonna give my blood, sweat, and tears for this week and I'm gonna get into it, You can do that all you want. 
None of that allows you to come to this table for me or you. The only way we can come to this table is if we recognize there's been only one victor. Only one person has overcome this world. And he maintains that victory. And what that means is by his cross and his resurrection, that not even death, the greatest enemy of all, could come into the picture. When you taste this, you taste how he has interceded for you and that your relationship with the Father is now and final. His love is yours. And if you're here this morning, and maybe what I'm saying is interesting, but you'd say, I don't know if I trust Jesus is actually the victor. I think I actually can do this myself. I wouldn't come take of this table. You know, I mean, you don't want to be disingenuous, right? You don't want to come to a table and, and take of something that, that says something different than what you really believe. I'd either remain in your seat or come forward, fold your hands, and receive a benediction. Let's talk about it. Because there is no way that any of us can overcome the world. Only Jesus can. So that when we leave this, we know that it is not by what we have done, but by what he has. And what changes you is that. What gets into the places most that you want changed and transformed and you want to see different in your life isn't your informational input. It is looking back over and over to Jesus who is patient, who is loving, who has the Father in your face saying, I love you on account of my son. Taste and see that his love is yours. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.